Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, welcome back to the Art of Craftsmanship podcast. My name is Dustin O'Hara and I'm here with my wife and co-host this evening, Nicole. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, And this is our 101st episode of the Art of Craftsmanship podcast and uh, Nicole and I have been spending a ridiculous amount of time together in the shop over the last like two weeks doing all sorts of fun stuff. So we've got lots to talk about. But I'm going to start us off with a quote today. Devin is not here. Uh, he is working uh, every night this week and like for the last five or six days. Um, and, but we'll go into a little bit more about that and what he's been doing and what we're getting ready for this week. But for now, I'll start us off with a quote. Anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination. Hmm. Yeah. So that's from Oscar Wilde. And uh, I thought about doing a quote that had to do with imagination and stuff because of all of the stuff we've been making over the last, you know, couple weeks, um, making costume stuff. And people, if you follow along on Instagram, you would have seen the stuff we were making the leather vest and all that. And so I like that though. Like the, anyone who lives within their means suffers from lack of imagination. I almost feel like it's the opposite because if you're forced to live within like a certain restriction of means, like whether it's money or time or whatever, it actually forces you to be more creative with like how you use what you have. Right. Right. But I think this being like, if you're living within your means, like you want to, I guess that's the, the people who live outside of their means are trying to do more than they, what they have. Right. So then maybe that's the, like, I only have this much, but what can I do that's outside of that? Now, is that like a practical thing? Like, you obviously live outside your means and then you have bills to pay and you can't pay them and you can't feed your children. Right. So, right. Or is it like, you know, I shouldn't really go on this trip, but I really should because it's a important part of what's going to make my life more enjoyable. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about experiences, then right. in general, most experiences are kind of always worth it. If you can, you know, stretch right. your you can, means right. to, to make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that like, that it was interesting to me because um if you in my mind i was thinking of that as in like living within your means like me, meaning that you don't try to do well it's yeah it's hard because it was like maybe someone who has who lacks imagination will only live within their means um to like a, like it within the creative sense so well, it almost seems like kind of uh, tangentially related to that other quote that's um, 
the a clean house is the sign of a wasted life. Right. Where it's like if you have time to like you know keep your house perfectly kept and orderly and everything, then there's, well, think about all the stuff that you are missing out right. on that you're not doing <laughs> or like with us as makers it's like our house is always a wreck because we've got a million different projects going right. on with like all sorts of different materials and stuff. Yeah. yeah yeah right exactly <clears throat> yeah i was thinking like almost also um then if you you know if you can't afford something then you just don't buy it so like okay why well, you know i want this thing but i can't afford it so i'm just not gonna get it so i'm just gonna live without it you know but if you have imagination, you can figure out a way to live within your means, but you know, not really like, so like you wanted that, the leather vest that we've been working on. And I mean, I'm sure we could have bought something like that on, you know, a really cheap version for 50 bucks and maybe like a really good version for a couple hundred bucks. But we also had the the materials and the means and the skill to get us started. And I was yeah. like, I think we can do this. You know, we, we know enough about leather work and, and garment construction and practical use of material and how things go together. You know, that kind of engineering mind. Yeah. To break and, it down. and as, as far as like, you know, using your imagination to extend your means, we've kind of, we're trying to teach that to Corinne right now because she wants a gaming computer. And, right. you know, we said, we'll pay for half the cost, but you need to make up the other ca- cost. And so she has some money saved up from pet sitting and stuff. But I'm like, well, be creative. Think about ways that you can make some extra money. And, right. and if you really want this computer, you got to make it happen. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's the thing too, like trying to just push that creativity in different aspects of your life and being like, um, what do you do in that situation? Right. Cause she's, Obviously, she can't go out and get a job. You know, she's 13. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there are jobs for 13-year-olds, but, you know, so she's not making money that way. Obviously, she's got a, you know, lucrative cat-sitting job for the last, <laughs> like, multiple years. Um, but, it, so, yeah, like you said, like, be creative. What else could you do to make money? And that could be in, in the sense, too, like, where she maybe, you know, wants to do some different chores. Like, well, what if I do these things? You know, can can there be, like, a, you know maybe a uh, <clears throat> like an allowance so if i do this and this and this could that be an allowance that then is extended right so like that so right um yeah but i think that's i think it's important to think that way to be like creative and think outside of the box quote unquote you know <laughs> but mm-hmm. um yeah i just thought that was an interesting quote because so many people uh if they you know, they, they don't think to make things first, you know, they think to buy things first and like, so depending on that, you know, mentality, I think we have the maker switch mentality, which is like, Oh, we want this thing or we want something interesting or cool. So can we make it? Yeah. And then you need to buy 10 things in order to make it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I need these tools. <laughs> so we get these tools. Like, Oh, Amazon next day rivets. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, that's if you guys are following along on Instagram, you would have seen that we've been working on this like killer leather vest that that we made that we made together, and um, it was it was awesome. Like it just it blew me away how well it turned out at the end. I kept like just pausing and being like, "It's crazy. That's fucking insane. Like how did, <laughs> like how awesome is it? Like it just came out so good." Yeah, I feel like it's you know movie costume grade. Like it could be straight out of Lord of the Rings or something. It's mm-hmm. Right. And it's also made in the way that like 
an actual garment would have been made, mm-hmm. you know? So it's made out of like three to four ounce leather, which is, so I guess, depending on what you're it's doing. It's probably it, a little light for actual armor. Right. But, but it is, you know, if you're, if you're pairing that with like a, you know, a riveted male vest or something, you know, like you know, whatever it is, but so it's definitely not, it's not like leather coat grade leather. It's definitely heavier than that. So, cause it's going to hold its shape mm-hmm. and all, which was the other, like kind of the issue that was like the problem or, you know, with a female form and right. holding its shape. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Wrapping around your bust and to get it to like fit well and look good on you and not just be like a sack or just, or like a flat board, you know? Right. So fortunately I think, you know, we found some good uh, reference images to work from. Uh, yeah. You want to tell them a little more about that? Uh, well, Stuff that we, you know, what we did. Uh, well, yeah. From the rest reference image, we were able to kind of draft a paper pattern um, mm-hmm. using that as a basis. And then so, you know, it involved just a lot of measuring back and forth putting the ruler up to the body, putting it onto the paper, checking all these different measurements, and then cutting it out and taping things together, and then right. trying it on just the paper part. Um, and then we just, it's, then you take the like leap of faith when you right. uh, cut it out of the leather because you're like, okay, no turning back now. Yeah. I hope this works. Fingers crossed. I think that was like a super cool part was when we had that paper pattern made and then we like taped the paper in the spots where it would be riveted and it actually because because paper has its own like some type of rigidity to it you know it's not like fabric that'll just flop over paper wants to stay flat so by doing that it was like the perfect template was to have mm-hmm. the paper because it'd be just taped in a few spots where we think it would it would held the leather was going to be riveted together and it actually formed the shape like the the ch- the front of your chest over your bust and then down and then back out and then on the side those two pieces to coming together like these funky shaped pieces when held together at the right spots formed that perfect like shape it was right but even before we put together the leather we did the dyeing of the leather and right, yeah. that was a whole another process yeah. because you know you want <laughs> like i had this image in my head of this like already antiqued and like sort of battle-worn armor which you know normally you'd have time that would give you that patina but (laughs) when you don't have time you gotta fake it and so it was just layers and layers of different dyes and then I went back over it with wax and was like trying to buff it and that actually worked pretty well yeah it was very time consuming right I like the the statement you made on I think Saturday night so so i think it was like friday last friday today is thursday so last friday you had the idea to make the leather vest and so i was like all right well we ha- i have this leather <clears throat> i had purchased some like three to four ounce leather which is lighter than what i normally use for sheaths and things because i wanted i need to make like the straps and things for corinne's axe sheath or axe sling and uh so i had that and i like but i got a whole roll because it was you know, it was three times more expensive than buying like one strip that would have made the, the single thing. But instead I got like a whole flat that is probably a side know, of a cow. Yeah. Six feet yeah. long by four feet <laughs> yeah. long for like, you know, it was something like 60 bucks instead of a one strip of leather for 20 bucks. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, I can make like 40 strips of leather from this one, but you know, and so I had it, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do with it. You know, there are other, there are some reasons to use leather. I mean, we use leather all the time, but not normally that thin. And then it was like perfect for that. It was exactly the right yeah, definitely. thickness and the rigidity. And 
weight, you know, as in how heavy it is. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't weigh a ton, you know, so it has that. And so we pulled it out <clears throat> and looked at it. And then, so Saturday we bought some pieces, uh, to go along with that and some other things with the, the, the garment that I was going to be working on. And then we're like, okay, which one do we want to do first? The leather vest or the like faux leather jerkin that we're making for me. And we were kind of talking about it. And you were like, well, let's do, the leather vest seems easier. So we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm, my my wheelhouse, my experience is making garments on the sewing machine. Right. And so I know what that process is and what it entails, whether it's, you know, like, um, well, because when you're not working from a pre-made pattern, there's the whole drafting the pattern, which is basically what we did with my leather right. vest too. Yeah. But there's the drafting of the pattern and then, you know, cutting it out. And then it's like mainly the, the assembly just takes a while because there's all like the finish work. There's all the, the hemming and the seams that you want to like, you know, get just right. And right. Um, so I was thinking that that would take longer. I, I don't know why, but I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah, like you said, all the hemming, all that stuff that goes along with it where you think, okay, with leather you have, you just cut out your pieces and rip them together. There's no edge stuff. Right, yeah, it was the, it was the lack of like having to finish the edges that yeah, made me think that it would be faster. But then right. I I just like completely forgotten about the whole dying and f- right. finishing of the yeah. leather. That's right, stuff. exactly, and that all has to happen before you put the garment together, or at least right. it makes it easier if you do it that way. And so yeah, that was that was a really um, a fun and interesting process of dying dying together because you and I were doing it like in tandem. So we mm-hmm. would like lay down one color. And then we would both work. You were working the darker color and I was working the lighter color, the medium color, because we were doing that, what's it, like chambray, is that or something? No, like ombre, like, like, ombre, like yeah, a fade. A so it was like lighter yeah. in the middle and darker and dark out to the, to the edges, right. yeah. And that gives that like worn look where the edges would get warm first, potentially. So so we were like working because we wanted, because we wet the leather first, but then with, with dye, you need to work it quickly. Otherwise you get streaks where it dries. Mm-hmm. So you were like, I'd work some area and then you'd work a dark over top of it. And then I, we had another, like an additional dauber that was just water. So then we would like go back over that to just blend it. And that was cool. So we're like working together back and mm-hmm. forth to get it. And, and, uh, and then like anything, when you wet it, it's always darker than when it dries. So each time it would like wet and then dry, we'd be like working on one and go back to that. Like that one looks lighter or like, mm-hmm. and then the next day we came back and everything was like significantly was lighter. really light. Right. Like it looked like we'd barely done anything to it where right. it looked kind of perfect when we finished it up the previous yeah, night. It's all wet. So, and then you ended up, so when you added it, cause you added the more dye mm-hmm. before I got home on Tuesday. So was that like you had over the entire surface. Yeah, the entire. I so took the darker dye and put it up just a single layer over everything, and then went over with the wax. Right, and, and the wax also... was actually what really like made it look like right the super nice, worn, finished product. Yeah, because yeah, the leather we were working with it was like even lighter than most of the other leather. Like that, it's a it was a pretty pale. It's veg like, tan. Cream, you yeah. know, like a creamy. Like usually, beige. yeah, usually it's kind of somewhere around like a, like a paper bag, maybe a little bit lighter than like a paper bag. If you met like you put veg tan before you dye it, but this was like, you know, a lot lighter than that. So we had a lot of ways to go to get it up to the darkness that we wanted. And, uh, yeah, it was cool, you know, and like each step of the way, um, and we talked about doing, or I, I told you about doing a, uh, disaster story, <clears throat> Because every time we have a new guest on, we have them do a disaster story. And since this is your 
first time as a guest on the podcast. Um, but this was one of those times that we had no big disaster. Like nothing went wrong. Nothing. Nothing went wrong. That never happens. <laughs> I was I was talking to Sean last night about it and and I was like yeah this is cool and this is cool and he was like yeah he's like you guys just like got through the whole project without any hiccups and I was like yeah that's right and that rarely happens for makers yeah I mean like, the only I mean we had to order like a different size um, rivet, rivet because the ones that we had in, yeah we thought like we had here. more when we were out getting them because we went to like Joanne's to get fabric and then we went to uh, Tandy Leather to get some leather stuff and mm -hmm, buckles and, and more dye and. And we thought we had enough rivets in the right size, but we didn't, right? So it was like, okay. But even then, thank that you, night, Amazon. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So that was like Saturday night because we were all pumped and excited. So we like got home, came down here. We worked the whole time, ignored Corinne for like multiple days in a row. She had to feed herself. <laughs> we're really bad parents. <laughs> we were like, we we're just so into it. It was like, exciting, you know. I was like, uh, and you could we could see the ending being relatively near. So each time it was like, oh, gotta do it, gotta do it, gotta do it. But yeah, so yeah, we had to, yeah, we just had to order the rivets and wait for that, which is more of like, not a hiccup, but more of just like a hassle. We're like, oh, come on, I want to get it done. But it did give like, you know, it gave time for things to dry overnight and look at the different colors and things mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of go through that process. Yeah. And then, so yeah, so you did some of the finishing on Tuesday. So we worked on Saturday, we worked on Sunday and then. And Monday, and Monday too, yeah. We no, we worked for like four days straight. Yeah, pretty much. yeah. And then right. Well, then the rivets came on Tuesday. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I was I was sailing Tuesday night, so I got home, and you had done like the dyeing, and the, and you did all the wa waxing and everything. Mm -hmm. So you'd finish the leather pieces, and then we started piecing them together. Um. So then we so the garment is made out of five pieces. It's a back panel with two side back panels, which wrap around so that gives you like kind of flat across the back and then wraps around to your ribs on the side and then it's two side front panels so they're on the sides going from the ribs on the side to the front and then there's two panels that are directly in the front that go straight down your chest i think that using our reference image we we didn't use like a, a pattern that we found online we just knew kind of what we what you wanted to make and so we just kept looking through different things until we found an image of what was similar to that mm -hmm. um and so once we found that i think the dividing the front into two like clicked in our head like oh right. that's how you get the shape to happen right because you have this flat panel that's relatively flat down one side, you know, like, and then the side piece that comes around is like narrow at the armpit and then wider at the bust and then narrow at the ribs and mm -hmm. then wider at the hips. So you get this like almost like this figure eight shape. And then when you attach that to a flat shape that's rigid, it curves. It like pulls that flat shape around, which is just like. I know. As soon as we put the rivets in, we're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> the shape of a body. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we got a little hint of it when we did the paper temp template. We were like, okay, mm -hmm. that's actually working. And then we just, like, put it together. And, yeah. Yeah, it was so cool. Just, like, again, I kept I kept just stopping and pausing and just being, like, flabbergasted at how well it was coming out. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is, like, you don't really know how well it's going to fit until you start putting it together. So we, like, had we had an idea. We had the paper template, and we had messed with that. And so we knew it was going to do kind of what we wanted. Right. Well, and because there's there's the buckles on the front and then the right. lacing on the sides. So mm -hmm. we knew that with the lacing on the sides to be able to get, you know, a certain level of adjustment there right. to really fine tune it. 
but still got to make sure that like what the pieces that you're actually riveting together aren't going to have any weird like lumps or gaps or things like that yeah and so right so we had the so we knew like the whole front it was going to be like formed around your chest and stomach and then like and then the same thing for the back relatively and then all we had to do was leave enough space on the sides where then the lacing could pull it all tight Mm -hmm. but it still had to fit right in the front and the back to like actually look right and it's just so good just so good having that reference image is like just just the one image like of the the kind of vest we wanted from the front you know it's like okay yeah we see that we see that okay let's see what we can do and yeah, and then when we finished it, went upstairs and like tried on the whole costume. We got the you know like the blousey shirt, and right. I, I made a kind of a a warrior skirt sort of thing to go with right. it, and leggings and boots and stuff, and then my sword belt and yeah. everything. And your yeah, your new uh, sword, my new sword, <laughs> which we haven't talked about yet, and I have I didn't put any pictures up on Instagram or anything, um, but I made so our daughter went to the Renaissance Festival last Saturday. <clears throat> and historically when we go to the Renaissance festival in the past, we have there the rules about, you know, what weapons and things you can bring in. And it's just like the rule is there's no weapons. It says no weapons, real or fake. So we just never brought anything, you know, but we've one had, year we tried to bring our bows and it was an issue. Like, right. They and I had unstring them and like, right. I couldn't like carry them around. You had to just wear them. Right. Yeah. So we had, right. Exactly. Yeah. Even though so we had no arrows, right. just sticks yeah. basically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So yeah, that was an issue. And so we figured that, sh- that Corinne wouldn't bring any of her wooden swords or daggers, which she has. And, you know, people have seen the things I've been making on Instagram, all the, the arsenal and the, you know, the armory of weapons for Corinne's party and all. Um, so we kind of gave her the heads up and then the family that she was going with, um, they were like, well, you know, we've seen other people walking before with them and carrying things. So we're just going to give it a shot. And if they tell us that we can't, then we'll take the stuff back to the car and we'll be fine. And they said, they all just like walked right in with the yeah. wooden swords and wooden daggers and whatnot. And so maybe it's like, I'd mentioned that to a buddy of mine and he was like, well, maybe that was like real or fake as in like a real metal sword or a fake aluminum looking metal sword replica. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like maybe it's not sharp, but it's a real or fake. Because they sell the wooden swords there at, I mean, they also sell metal axes. Yeah. Do they? Weapons too. But (laughs) But I think with the, with the metal weapons you have, you can't like, they wrap them and you can't like unwrap it. So, you know, it has to stay wrapped and like, you know, so, but, but yeah, like, yeah, like you said, they sell tons of metal swords and, and other things and knives and, and, you know, metal or not metal swords. Yeah. Metal swords, but wooden swords and wooden axes and all sorts of fun stuff like that, that you can buy and carry around while you're there. So. Yeah. It wouldn't we, make sense that you can't bring in your own unless they're right. just trying to make more money for the vendors. Exactly. Right. And that's what I was thinking of as well. It's like, they probably just want, you know, don't bring them in. So that way, you know, the people who happen there can do them. So, but she, they got through successfully Corinne and a couple of her friends and the family, they all got in and I'm not sure what the like adults were wearing, but they said no one said anything to them. They just walked right in. So like, well, okay, well now you actually need a, a sword, like a wooden sword to go with your outfit. Cause I've made one for myself and I made a bunch for Corinne and her friends and then our, our family friends. And, um, but so we kind of talked about what you wanted, which was like, uh, more of a, a like a, a lighter, speedier one handed, you know, mm-hmm. type of like rapier type thing, but not necessarily rapier, not which quite is like that super skinny. skinny. Yeah. yeah. But 
definitely something that is a, a one-handed sword that you would do more like sword play with like i was picturing kind of like princess bride like when right, they're doing yeah. the sword fight up on the cliff yeah. and stuff and ding, ding, ding. yeah right like yeah. that's that's kind of what i was imagining what in you my didn't head. know was that i'm not right-handed <laughs> left-handed <laughs> or left-handed yeah <laughs> well neither am i <laughs> yeah right so we kind of like looked through some different sword images and then um looked at the like accessory things like what you wanted for guard or pommel or you know length and all and then so we kind of with the restrictions of it being made out of wood right yeah um so we had the idea of what we wanted to do which is going to be like around a 26 24 to 26 inch blade with a six inch handle because you want it to be like a single handle a single handed grip not a double um and then like a five or six inch guard and then a pommel shaped kind of like an onion <laughs> mm-hmm. so like you know pointy on one end and rounded on the other end so I had that in mind. So I came downstairs and I was like, on the way down, I was like walking through past the smithy and looking at the wood I had out there. And I came downstairs and I was like thinking about the different wood I have down here. Because usually when I make wooden swords, it's like I just make them out of whatever junky wood is around because it's a wooden sword. Like inevitably you're going to be hitting things with it. It's going to crack and break and you just make another one. So I'm looking around and uh, I look over and leaning against the wood rack over here is my uh, broken and shattered uh, bow that made out of Osage that we had to remake for the 100th uh, video, 100 pound war bow. The first attempt. <laughs> <laughs> the broken shards of Narsil in the basement. <laughs> so, <laughs> so those those pieces were reforged into a sword. So that yeah. So I took I took the bow and so one limb was still unbroken. So I you know cut that limb basically, um, about where the handle starts, the fade. So where you go from limb into the handle, that kind of gets wider. So I cut it off there, measured it. At, uh, actually, I didn't even cut it at all. I think that one side was the, about the right length because it was 26 inches plus another 6-inch handle, which is like 32 or so inches. So that was about right because the bow is 72 plus a 4-inch handle plus 2-inch fades on either side. So you're looking at about 30 to 32 inches in that section. So I think it actually – your sword ended up being about 25 and a half inches, something like that, because I couldn't go too much further because I didn't have flat there. I mean, I could have, but it also tapers in. So I was working with the width of the handle. So I had that, but that had a little bit of um, a little bit of bend in it because it already had taken on bend just from being bent and, you know, made to a bow. So I had to, like – do some kind of creative grinding to get the point to come back, you know, so that way the blade was flat and I kind of trimmed it a little shorter and it's so pretty though. It is. It's that golden (laughs) Osage yellow. And it'll just like darken over time. It'll be Mm -hmm. that that really beautiful, like brownie red, you know, so. It's perfect. (laughs) I did end up, I I told you, so I had, um, so it's all made out of Osage and the way I make the wooden bows that I, I do the, the blade and handle and pommel all with one piece of wood. And then the guard is a second piece of wood that I usually just have like a rectangle of wood. That's long and skinny, maybe like two by six. That would be kind of standard by like maybe three quarter, whatever the thickness of the wood is or half to three quarter. And then I, I draw in the middle. So, so the blade is made out of a rectangular piece of wood. I leave the area um, underneath the guard, I leave it rectangular. So I grind the bevels above that, and then I grind the grind the handle below it. And that area of wood is whatever that starts out as, like half inch by two by whatever. And so I have that dimension, and I cut, and I draw that on the middle of the flat piece of steel for the for the guard, and then I cut the whole guard in half, 
So that way I don't have to slide it up and down. I can just put it around it and glue it back in, right? So normally a guard you would slide from the bottom up or whatever, but because it's all one piece of wood, I just glue it back together and then it has like a seam down the middle, but then it's glued around it. So I kind of finessed that because the wood wasn't flat because it was like this, this flat of a bow. So I did like kind of get that shape run, but that's all Osage as well. And so that was kind of cool to like, I had to find another piece of wood from the other end of the bow and then trim that off and cut it and like get it all the right shape and size and then cut that. And so I, well, well, speaking of the whole disaster story, that's like making, you know, lemonade out of lemons, you know, <laughs> like you took your disaster and made this beautiful sword out of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking that I was, I hesitated when I looked at it. I was like, I don't know, you know. I was like, what am I going to do? Just look at this broken bow forever? Like, what's the point of that? You know, so. <laughs> Reflect on your failures. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> like, I knew why it broke. It's not like I had to, like, study it. You know, there were, like, the pin knots, and I could see exactly what happened. And and the subsequent one that we made afterward, I backed the rawhide to combat that, and that was fine, you know. So, uh, yeah. But it was really cool. It turned out really good, and, the like, the handle was, I think, like, four and a half inches, and it's got the pommel. It's really nice, and because the pommel is where the fade was from the from the limb into the handle it actually had a little bit more thickness so i could actually do like thickness like height and width because normally the pommel is just the 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 same thickness of whatever the piece of wood i started with i can't like make it thicker so it was nice to have a little bit thicker area so that the pommel is actually a little thicker and i made you a little belt you know sheath loopy thing to slide it on and so now you got your sword Mm-hmm. and a little in the belt thing the little belt loop and then we made um the or i made the we we got these horn cups at like a, a sca event was that was that even a year ago maybe or maybe more more than that like yeah. last summer yeah there's a, a, a vendor there we went to like an who, archery who works competition with horn. thing yeah so and yes yeah, so we bought these really cool horn cups and spoons and straight from when we bought them we had the idea to make little leather holstery things that would, that would hold them on our belts, but we haven't had a chance to go anywhere or use them since then. So when Corinne was going last week and I made one for her and then I made a couple for us. And now we all have these like, it's basically just like a, a tapered leather loop with a belt loop attached to it that the horn can slide through. And because they're horn, they're ta- the horns are tapered. Um, the, the horn cups we have don't go all the way to the point. They're cut off and then flat. So they would like sit flat on the surface but they're still tapered. So it like really, it's really nice. So you can, mm-hmm. I just made them the right size. So it could slide in about halfway through and, you know, holds on our belt. It's going to be built cool. in cup holders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Taking a drink, you just slide it right in keep on, <laughs> keep walking. <laughs> yeah. But it's been fun to piece all these things together. And then we were working on my jerking last night, which is, which was fun. So, just yeah, like based a, off a of Aragorn's vest. Yeah. Uh, vest jerkin type thing. Right, yeah. And that's just a cool, like, part of a costume that is a little different. That's, I mean, uh, both of our vests are the most costumey part of our costumes. Like, we got the, like, the shirts and stuff that were kind of puffy, but those, you know, aren't, could be worn in normal society without it being kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the pants and, like, whatever the... Obviously, the swords and things are more like play costume, but <laughs> but those like the vest and the jerkin are definitely like for these type of events, which you know it's just fun to have because when we went to that SCA event, the archery event, we didn't have any costume stuff. No, we had to borrow their like loner uh, yeah, garb like tunics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> although we did have 
like much nicer bows than everyone else because mm. we had all of our all the handmade bows, and you had the one that I made for you, and Corinne. I guess she. I guess you guys were sharing it. Like she was. Um, you were both yeah. using that bow. Maybe because... she used to have her own bow, but right. is more of a you know child's bow. But uses when she first started, and, right. and yes, then she's gotten short. now she's taller than me and probably upper strength, upper body strength, maybe even stronger than me. So <laughs> she definitely outgrew her old right, bow, yeah. and so my bow is a good fit for her. Right. Yeah. And because of that, actually, a couple years ago. Um, I had I was making a bow and you had shown interest in wanting to make your own bow and so that might have been maybe two years ago or more or I more. Don't, it, yeah. yeah so <laughs> we like I had a stave that was like the right size and shape and you know it's funny I, I have I have a few staves that seem kind of thin and like small I mean it doesn't matter like Osage is so strong like yeah. that bow when you started even when it like looked like it was right it was still like 60 pound draw Right. And it still looks small. <laughs> you know, I was like, man, that's pretty high. You know, it's like we got to a point where it looked like it was, you know, because it's shorter because it matches your height. And it was just like still ridiculously strong bow. So I know it's like the limbs are like a quarter inch thick right now. Yeah. And it's like, a, you know, 35 pound draw. Right, so it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, it's it's impressive how springy that stuff is. So, yeah. but yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago we started, you know, you, you did everything you like took the bark off and chased the growth ring. That's the hardest part. Not, I don't know about the hardest part, but that's one of the ones that takes the most time and the most like uh, patience and where you can really like screw up the bow if you don't chase the growth ring appropriately. Because with Osage, uh, um, the strength of the bow is in a single growth ring. And it's the same thing with most bows um, or most like most self bows where it's one piece of wood. With hickory, you just take the bark off and you're good. You just use the wood below it. You maybe scrape off the cambium layer or whatever it is mm-hmm. right below. With um, with you, you you take off the bark and then you leave the sapwood, which is um, the lighter colored wood, but it, it's not um, – the sapwood doesn't have the same growth ring strength. It's just all the sapwood together is strong. So you just take off the sapwood until it looks about right across the surface. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but the sapwood is the is the, the wood that's good for tension, for stretching, and then the heartwood is good for compression. So you have this like two different things and you kind of balance them out. And then so that way you're you're balancing out the tension and the compression. Um, with Osage, the sapwood is not good, so you have to get down to the heartwood, and usually you want to get down a few layers into it. So then you have to go down to the growth rings, but then you still need a single growth ring, so you have to like draw a knife away this curved and lumpy and yeah. knotty piece of wood. Because Osage loves to grow in all sorts of crazy, twisted <laughs> right, yeah. ways with and lots, lots of knots, knots yeah. lots of knots. So you're constantly having to try to figure out, like when you get, approach a knot, you're like, wait, is this the right growth ring? Yeah, or am right. I going up too high? Does the growth ring follow up yeah. to the knot? Or is it like actually down here? And right. So it's a lot of second guessing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like taking your time and really looking because if you go too low and you cut in or violate a growth ring, then you have to then like cut down to that next growth ring all the way. Now the really beautiful thing about Osage and the, the like what's so cool about doing that is that the each growth ring is made up of two types of wood, an early growth and a late growth. So it's like, you know, in the spring or fall throughout the summer, you're getting that like early growth. It's growing really fast. And so it's very, um, 
like crispy, I guess, right? There's more air in it. And then in the late growth, so in the like fall and then the winter, it's slowing down and all that growth slows down so you get this really dense area of wood. So when you're, you're using a draw knife and chasing the growth ring, you can feel that. So you like cut down in and then you feel like you can, you can also see it, like you can see the different layers, but you can feel that like you're cutting through this kind of crispy stuff, like waffly or like, I guess crispy, that's how I would say. Mm-hmm. So kind of like, it's like scratchy, like as you scratch across, you can feel it. And then you get below it and the blade doesn't want to cut into the wood below it because it's harder and much more dense. So you can almost just scrape away that, like those layers. So, you know, you're, it's not just about, visually seeing the layers is about feeling it and watching like yourself scrape and feel that like that crunchy stuff come off so so a few years ago i chased the growth rings down to an appropriate level so that part was pretty much done so it was a stick of wood with one side having chased growth rings and then it got put up in the rafters of the shop and stayed there for several <laughs> <Right>. years. <laughs> Got nice and seasoned. I definitely did, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, just recently, I guess it was when you were making your bow. Well, actually, like, right? I think like, about within the last year, maybe about a year ago or so, I think last summer, you had thought about it again. You were like, okay. I maybe wanna, it's when we know. were doing the SCA stuff and the archery, the, right. the place, the Baltimore yeah. Bowman. Right, so you thought about it again. And so... We took it down and you shaped it more, right? So then you then we like did the center line and we did the sides and we kind of got it down to the general shape. Um, and, and then it went some, back up in the <laughs> yeah, and back up some, in the rafters. Took some material off the limbs <laughs> and then it went back up in the rafters and stayed there again for another year. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so then last, so we were talking about doing the the final shoot for the uh, 100th video and that was going to be the big AOC archery tourney. And, uh, so I had mentioned that we were doing it, you know, maybe a couple weeks in advance. And then we like, there was a date that we were going to do it that wasn't, didn't end up working out. But then about a week or so before, maybe not even that long, you, you were like, well, I, I'd like to maybe finish my bow. So I have it for the tournament. I was like, okay. <laughs> like thinking about the work that it was going to take, like, all right. But we had time, you know, it was like, we had four or five days. And it was, I think we came right into a weekend when you said that. So we had like the day, like all day that first day to kind of really get into it. Um, and then, you know, again, the second day we had a couple more days and then it was like a few nights in a row we came down and worked on it because it was, I think we, I think we maybe done, maybe did like Friday and then all day Saturday and, and all day, but you know, all day Saturday, all day Sunday and then Monday and had to finish it on Monday um, because the, the arch, the tournament was on Tuesday. And, uh, yeah, so it was a lot of work. Well, yeah. And I know you say that like the chasing the growth ring is one of the more critical parts mm-hmm. and, and like can be a little nerve wracking, but for me it was the tillering uh, yeah. because it's like you, you think you're working evenly, right? You think you know which spots you need to hit and like these are trying to get the general overall weight down as well as make the shape nice and even and get mm-hmm. that nice smooth even curve on both limbs the ideal curve and then you put it up on the tillering tree and oh suddenly i've got a hinge in the limb that wasn't there before and now we got to deal with that and so then you're like marking all the spots so like i don't touch there only do like we'll do 10 passes here and five passes here and trying to even it all out and 
it like went back and forth and back and forth a couple times. And then um, it was actually kind of earlier in the tillering process. Um, we were given it like, or, fl- or actually maybe it was when you were stringing it. We heard, oh, we heard a right. little tick and we're yep. like, uh-oh, that's yeah. not a good noise. And that was like Sunday <laughs> yeah. or it was like Sunday morning. Cause then we did yeah. something, we ended up coming back in the evening and then putting on a Good. Yeah. So then, so then <laughs> we, we heard the tick, and we're yeah, like, we heard the tick, and we looked at it, and we're pretty sure that we found the spot. It was like a, right on a knot, or right, right, right under a knot, and there was a, a little compression fracture there. Yeah, and you had left. So at that knot with Osage, sometimes to like give some extra strength to those knots on the back of the bow, the part that faces away from you when you draw, you leave on one or two additional growth rings. So you basically make these islands that have like right. a few growth rings that are around the knot to strengthen it. So we heard it tick. We heard the like the little crack. And so we were looking at it. We found where we thought it came from and it was right around one of the knots and within that kind of island of extra growth rings. And so we kind of I like we were like scraping down to it and drawing up and down to it to see if we could just pull it off. It was if it was just a piece of the growth ring, that would have been fine. We just mm-hmm. like cut it off and, and to see how deep going. it went. Yeah. But it we weren't hundred percent sure and it could have gone down to a little bit more so then we proceeded from there, but you can continue. Yeah. So um, we took it down, took it down, and we're pretty sure we got, we did, we, I think we got most of the crack out. Right. But out of an abundance of caution, <laughs> we uh Following took, after my bow, which right. I broke once at a knot. Yeah. Right. So Dustin on his second bow, he was like, I'm not messing around. And he backed the whole thing with rawhide yeah. to add an extra layer of strength and- so he had some leftover, and so we just mm. decided, well, we don't don't think we really need to back this whole thing. It's right. really like the rest of it looks fine. There's no issues. So it, I think it's just this one spot. So we just cut out a little patch, a little oval of rawhide, mm-hmm. and applied that right over the knot uh, in question. And um, it wasn't necessarily pretty (laughs) (laughs) the prettiest patch ever but But, you know as we were thinking about um possibly uh backing the bow with some other material anyway like it may more in in a decorative way but also just to reinforce the strength too so whether it's uh fabric or we were talking about preserved snake skin because that'd be really cool looking and then that would cover up the little rawhide patch Right. Yeah. So we had already before that, before we even got to that point, we mm-hmm. had talked about off and on like different things. We looked looked about purchasing some things, about backing the whole bow with something cool, you know. So we're like, well, and and I had never like doing the war bow. That backing was that was the first time I had done any rawhide backing. So, um, you know, my I have very limited knowledge on backing bows. I have a lot, you know, a lot of experience, or at least a decent amount of experience of making bows and understand like how it works. And so I was like, well, to me in theory, if you have this little crack or a little split where you, like the grain could lift, if you just patch that, I mean, it's anything else anywhere. We just patch that. Potentially that should keep that one spot from lifting, which would keep, if that spot can't lift, then it won't break. You know, that's how like right. wood works, right? When it splits, it splinters and then they all follow behind it when one little thing goes. So if you keep that one thing from going, you know, that's what works. And, uh, yeah, so we just made that little patch, what might've been like two inches long by an inch wide, you know, this kind of oval right around it to reinforce it. And 
Or perfect. So far, so, yeah. Because so <laughs> right, yeah, knock on wood, right? Right. Yeah. Knock on bow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then um yeah, so I finished tillering. Um, like I said, kind of a long, tedious process, a lot of back and forth. Mm. And unfortunately, towards the end of the tillering, when I was actually getting close to the draw weight, I sort of created another sort of hingy spot and mm. as a little upset because the curve was looking really really nice before that but right. oh well it's we we made it work it, it's pretty yeah. it's a pretty smooth curve now yeah and then um and then was like the very end i, th- I thought was kind of the fun part which is when you're putting on the knocks and you can make it a little more decorative mm. so i carved a little leaf into the end of my knock and yeah and that's and then that was it and then yeah. um we made a bowstring for it and and then brought it to the tourney. Yeah. And it, and it worked great. In I, fact, you'll see how well it worked. Right, yeah. When the right, video yeah. comes out. So <laughs> spoiler alert, yeah. but it worked great. It did. <laughs> it did actually work really well. It's beautiful. Yeah. It shot well. I mean, from And what it was I can a really see. comfortable draw weight for me. Oh good. Too, yeah. because you know, I don't have a ton of upper body strength, but you right. know, um, I didn't feel sore or anything afterwards. Right. So Yeah, and, and like along the way as we were working, because it was like three or four days in a row working on you know do, doing this and it's a lot of upper body work because it's all just you know yeah. rasping yeah it was more sore from tillering yeah. than from actually <laughs> shooting so, like, the bow <laughs> yeah that night i think monday night you were like we were pulling it and doing the final, final tillering and stuff and you're like oh, like it still felt really heavy to you and then the next day we strung it again and you were like pulling you're like oh this feels much better right so it's been like my muscles were just, were just tired yeah, from working it yeah. right yeah probably like sore and you know strains and stuff but so what, like, in general, or I guess, like, what do you feel about bow making in general? Or what parts do you like the most? What part, you know, would would you want to make another bow? Or is, like, one and done, you're good? Or what do you think? I think, like, like I don't know. I almost feel like I like the parts that you don't have to think as much. Of. Like, I actually really enjoy chasing the growth rate. Mm-hmm. I thought, because it's just something that, like, it's... It's one thing you don't really need to think too hard about. You're just sort of observing, you know, the wood and you're sort of, Mm. you're working slowly and you're just kind of like gradually going up to it. And it's almost like meditative Mm -hmm. kind of. And I actually really liked doing that part. I think one of the reasons why I waited several years to continue (laughs) was because I found the actual shaping of it intimidating because Mm -hmm. that's where you really need to make like real specific choices. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like, uh, you know, what shape you want and like being able to read the wood, um, and know that's the part that was just really foreign right. to me that I had no kind of instruction yeah. or experience with. So I was just sort of relying on you to tell me right. what to do with that part. Whereas like you can say like, okay, make it all one growth ring. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. Right. Exactly. Can, like, here's the thing you're doing. This is how you, uh, this is how you read the wood. This is how you feel it. Mm-hmm. Now do it down the entire length of this boat. Like, which at probably at that time was like close to six feet. Right. Maybe, you know, cause we started with an original stave. Right. So like full stave, so it might have been six feet or five and a half feet, something. But yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, one thing, right? It's like do this one thing all the way through, because then yeah, when you get into tillering, you're you're balancing all these things together. Right. You're looking at the wood, you're bending it, 
then you're thinking about where you need to remove wood and and then it's like okay well is is like is that is it bending here funky because it's a knot or is it bending here funky because i didn't take enough wood around it or is it is the limb too wide do i need to shape that it's all these things that are all going into all these little decisions that if you if you push it too far in any one direction then it like yeah, you you're lose just, you're you lose just the balance spending a lot more mental energy right um at that point. So right. it's just, I don't know. It's more stressful. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And you'd never done it before. You're right. Right. So that was the other thing too, is like, you didn't know what to expect. And, and then also, but also after like doing it for, you know, an hour or two hours, you know, you like go over, you do a little bit of tillering, you put it back up on the tillering tree, you pull it, you look at it, you understand. So then like, once you've done it a bunch of times then you were just going back and forth pretty quickly, right? Cause yeah, you're like, I got really good at stringing and unstringing my bow. <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, and I definitely, there's, there is a, um, there's a, like a, I guess like a meditation, like a calm in that type of thing, that repetitive thing. That's Um, probably why I like knitting. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Um, you know, and, and I think, I guess with, uh, I guess with anything, you know, or most of the things that I do, there there are elements of that that have that like grinding bevels. That's just like you're taking your time, you're doing one thing over and over again, just like bringing it slowly up, or you know, with you know, chasing a growth ring or tillering. All those things take some time and patience and meditation. You kind of get into a groove, and that's actually one of the things that I've found that I lose a little bit of when recording a podcast. I'm no, not recording a podcast when, when shooting a video, <laughs> sorry, um, is I lose a little bit of that ability to get like into the, into the mind, like lose track of time because I'm always thinking about how I'm teaching the same thing. Like it's, it's teaching, right? So I'm not just making it for myself. I'm in a situation where I'm like thinking about what I'm doing and trying to talk about it. And so it's a different type of thing as if I'm like, down here making something on my own without anybody in the shop then i just like get into the groove of making it it's like uh it's like when i was or when i was down here without you and like dying and waxing the leather like it was just like suddenly you know two hours had passed and i realized that i hadn't eaten any dinner and i was you know i just sort of got in the groove and because it's funny because when lots of times when you're down in the shop after work um and you just I don't see you like until, right. you know, nine o'clock in the evening and I've made dinner and Kern and I have eaten and, and yeah. you come up and I'm like, aren't you hungry? Or like, don't you <laughs> think like, about food? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can kind of see that, you yeah. know, getting yeah. into the groove and just like not thinking about other stuff. Right. Yeah. Especially, you know, doing things and seeing progress happen, you know, it's like you're moving along, moving along, you're getting to the next step and the next step and, or, or you're working to get from, to finish one step, mm-hmm. right? So like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to finish the step. It doesn't really matter how long it is. My mind's in this step. So if I right. do it all, if two hours went by, I just need to get to that one step so I have a good stopping point. And then you stop and your brain's like, oh, I'm hungry. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, or whatever your body says, I'm hungry, right? Um, yeah. And and I don't have as much as that like when shooting videos. I mean, also because Devin's down here, you know, so we're like chatting and talking and doing things and, you know, but I, you know, it's, um, I hadn't really ever thought about it until that, until just now that like, I've, I like that part of making mm-hmm. like when, um, when I was doing the 
the dagger, the Scottish Dirk, and I was carving the handle, and that took probably 10, 11 hours over the course of multiple nights. You know, like three hours one night, three and a half hours next night, four hours, you know, like these like multiple hour sessions. And that I really did lose track of time. I'd be like, you know, just grinding and cutting and shaping and, you know, doing all the stuff. And then I'd look up and it was like two hours had gone by or three hours had gone by. And I, you know, the progress is relatively slow, but it's like constant. So, well, it's like the, the vibe you get from, um, like my self-reliance, you know, Sean, um, yeah, Sean James. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, he's just plugging away uh-huh. on his cabin right. and, you know, it takes as long as it takes and he gets up in the morning starts working on it maybe has a meal somewhere in the middle maybe a break but you know obviously (laughs) through editing and and being on you know youtube it's hard to tell exactly about his whole 24 hours like what he's doing but um it's it's definitely like you can tell that he's just he just keeps going until that one task that he had set for himself is done and then and then you know next then he's like thinking about the next one right yeah 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 and you know i speaking of him as well i mean i've I've been watching his channel since he like started the first cabin and now he's working on a second cabin and this one's got like well it's funny because there are some things that he's doing that are like non-traditional where the first cabin was like very traditional you know it's like mostly all just like straight you know like rounded log joints and like all the rafters were done a certain way. But now he's in this one. I think he got to the point where he realized that he wanted to make something that was more permanent and more like, um, designed and, and built to house his family comfortably mm-hmm. where the other one was a little bit more about just like making this thing. Um, so he's using, you know, different synthetics in the floor to like make sure that it stays warm. And, you know, and he dug a cellar to do like, to be able to put a basement in like with a root cellar and all this stuff. And, and he has like solar power to do those things. And he has a geodesic dome, you know, greenhouse on the property. So, but all these different things are, you know, yeah, like you said, he's just like, each step is a step. You know, if you're going to cut a big notch for a giant log, you got to cut that notch before you can move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And you can either do it really quickly and then Possibly you're going to regret it, it. <laughs> <laughs> or take your time and do it right because, you know, why not? You yeah. Know? And he's got the luxury of not being on, he's not on like a timeline or anything. It's just do it and do it. And, and you know, he's like actively recording himself and vlogging basically weekly vlogs. And uh, yeah, who, I, I was talking to somebody he's, about he's that He's also recently. not like, he's not like your channel you're like actively educating right. people too like you're you kind of show it you go walking through the steps and you're like yeah telling more people, how to yeah. yeah more how to and he's just like come along with me on this journey right like yeah. you can learn things from observing what i'm doing but right. i'm not gonna like you know tell you right you know what what's going on yeah, and exactly. what my like, thought, this thought process or, yeah. is behind it or why right. i did this thing but instead of this thing you know it's right. just yeah yeah that's cool. And uh, I forget who I was talking to, but somebody was saying that his, it's a pretty unique, as in there's not a lot of channels that do that and are, are that successful. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, a, I mean, Wrangler Star does it because he just has a homestead and he's just working on whatever he's working on. And he just films it and puts it up. So he kind of does it. and But Sean, it's like, but Wrangler Star's all, all different projects. Mm-hmm. Sean is like one 
giant project that you're watching the entire thing over like span of years. Right. And he's like, he just works on whatever he gets done that week. And then he edits it and puts that video out. And then next week he just keeps working on that same project. So it's like one thing that you just see this like growth over time. And it's been fun um, watching Matt Cremona like put up his new um, yeah. building to yeah. his new barn kind of structure right and it's like wood warehouse or whatever yeah yeah because it's like you can see like his excitement about it too like seeing it all come together it's, it's like really giggle. fun yeah he always laughs i love his laugh he's like eh, the foundation's going in <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway yeah no that is cool right it's it's fun i I was telling I was telling Sean about that because he's doing our our friend Sean is um from Crafting a Life I once redoing his shop where he's putting in a shop and uh, and they he moved in Kate and Sean moved into a new house and they had a lot of like projects to do around the house to get it to where they wanted it livable right yeah <laughs> and they had like contractors working with them but then a lot of the stuff they were doing on their own so there were all these projects that like were not. Um, immediate enough that to, you you would want to pay a contractor when Sean is a capable like handyman basically he's like a you know he's an, a, a maker so there are these things around the house that just like needed to get done to you know to to not see them every time you walk by not being done you know <laughs> so like as I said he like walk out of the house and see all these projects that had to get done. And like he wants to go down to a shop and work in a shop and do fun things and make fun things, but there are these these other like glaring things that need to get done. So it's been a while, but now over the last couple of weeks, he's really putting some time into his shop. And uh, I was talking to him about just vlogging that, just like if you go into your shop and you're gonna do something like work on some, you're gonna make a bench or you're gonna rearrange some part of your shop, just like document that and put up those vlogs and do it. Well, it's easy for me to say, like, edit it in an easy way because I don't edit anything. But, <laughs> but like, I, but doing, you know, like reels and things, they kind of set up where you basically just shoot all the shots and then yeah, you put them in order. Yeah, and he doesn't even necessarily have to narrate or have any audio right. or anything. Like, yeah. it can just be, like, you know, have a single angle. Like, you right. just set up your camera, like, with a good wide view of your whole mm -hmm. shop and people are watching you, like, right. you know, yeah. do your thing. <laughs> yeah, or, like, do a couple shots. But just yeah. think about... You know, because when you're when you're doing a project like that, it's it's like start to finish anyway. So you just get a few shots along the way, mm -hmm. and then those shots are already in order on your phone or whatever it is, and you just like drop those shots in order into editing software, and then put in your entry your your like you know beginning and do a little ending thing, and maybe do a voiceover or talk along the way. So you can do that, but also the thing that we were saying was like. Um, that type of thing doesn't necessarily um, draw in a lot of viewership if you don't already have the viewership. So if you're just right. like, if you're just documenting yourself doing something, it's not exciting. Over time, it's not exciting. So you need a viewership, people who always already want to watch you. And so he has like, he has the viewership, but he also has like, because they've been working on the house for so long, he hasn't put anything up on YouTube in a long time. So he's like lost some of that speed as well, mm. the momentum. Um, so it's a little bit back and forth, but that was like the whole, uh, Sean James thing where he's like, got this one big project that he just like shows what he's doing every week and puts it up and people will watch it, but he's got the viewership, you know, mm -hmm. he's got the like people who want to come along because he's had a few big videos along the way. Like after he finished his first cabin, he put up a making a cabin start to finish 
45 minute long documentary video of the entire process that he had mm. been filming for years before with, you know, like maybe 10,000 people watching. And he put that up and it went super big right. and his channel grew. And now like every time he puts a video up, he's got, you know, 50, 60, 500, 600, a million views on each video because now he's got the, like the numbers and the viewership and people are you know interested in watching this process along the way. Yeah. I don't know. All that to say is that like, mm. you know, being in the shop working is, uh, is like a meditative process sometimes. And like, and, uh, you know, try to get into that. That's fun. I, I like that. That's interesting. That That's the part that you like about bow making. I guess you'll uh, make another bow and you need another bow. <laughs> <laughs> when Corinne steals this one. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe when the next... Yeah, so I do want to make one, make one for her. Um, one with some like fun recurve tips and maybe something decorative on it yeah right yeah a little bit like stronger bow she's really into fantasy stuff she is super into fantasy stuff she um she's been using your bow your the one that i made for you but it does have a pretty good hinge in it and i was just like one of the earlier bows that i made and maybe it was stronger at the time but then you use it more and that like that weakness like any part of the bow you get what's called string followed like the more you use it the more it bends the way it was going and so that's why with like with uh, self bows that are all made out of one piece of wood you want to like string it use it and then unstring it and so you know and sometimes even like people will like put in specific back set like they have like a you know a way to keep it to like bend it backwards so that way it actually wants to like settle back into that kind of back set so um yeah but, my my current bow the one I just made it had on one limb it had a beautiful natural back set right and then so we were trying to make it, trying to use some heat bending to make the other limb match. And we right. actually got it like, you know, pretty good uh, matching. But then that was before all the tillering and, you know, right. taking and it down. And then, it, yeah. yeah. So then trying it, to fix yeah. all the mistakes that were made when, <laughs> right. when taking the limbs down, it sort of got rid of a lot of the back set. Right. Yeah. There's still a little bit in there, but it doesn't have as much as it did with like the, yeah. That was fun too, right? Because we did do like the heat bending, and that's, that's so cool, isn't it? How Osage just like warm it up a little bit, and you're and it just like flexes and moves and yeah, goes to a new shape. Take a little bit of a twist out of it too. So yeah, a little twist, and we put and yeah, we'd like heat it up and then like put the end, the tip of it into the into the vise, but without the jaws tight, and just enough so you can like bend it and flex it and work it and try to get it to stay in this new position. Um, I think one of the reasons why as well that it like pulled out is that we didn't have a form, you know, so if we had a form, we could have like, we could have heated it all and then put it into a form and clamped it and then let it dry completely or let it cool. And, you know, let that, what's it called? Lignum, the glue that like holds space. Lignin. Lignin, yeah. Let that kind of resettle back into its position and then it might hold it. But I mean, again, yeah, back set, just like that happens with bows. You get like this, you get the, the fibers are moving and crushing like in, you know, a microscopic way within the bow. And so you get this like it, the string follow or the, you know, where it like wants to follow the bend. So if you leave a bow strong and it doesn't have some other element to it, like fiberglass or something else that's going to help it go back, the wood is going to want to stay in that position. Like, you know, any piece of wood that any that you ever see like a two by four if you just leave it sitting around or if it's leaning against the wall it's going to like start to change its shape so Mm -hmm. it's kind of a cool 
cool thing about wood and also frustrating sometimes because <laughs> you get those, like a really beautiful back set like heated treated into it and then you string it and you tiller it for two days straight and then it's like all gone <laughs> that's kind of cool all right so um i uh, i wanted to say like obviously with the bow video it's coming out this sunday um and so we will be doing a premiere. So if you're listening, uh, this Sunday at, uh, on the 25th, um, we will be doing a premiere of the 100th video that we've had on YouTube, which is our 100 pound warbo. Um, uh, Dev and I will both be watching, um, and commenting live during the premiere. So at six o'clock it'll go live. I think it's right about an hour long. It's a little bit shorter maybe, but, um, so We'll be doing that. So I wanted to say that um, just because I was like on my mind before I forgot about it. But um, really, you know, we'd like to see people there. We want to also do a live stream sometime in the near future. But um, I'm also doing a live stream on the 24th on Saturday. Uh, the Virtual Craft Festival is happening again. I did one back in, I think, May. And so this is um, on the 24th on Saturday at 12 noon. I will be doing, I'll be going live and doing the virtual part of the virtual craft festival. And I'll post a little bit more about that tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on Friday, I should be posting about it on Friday. Um, but before we finish up with our recommendations, I wanted Nicole to tell us a disaster story. So something <laughs> as makers, you know, we all... Well, so as like a YouTube content creator and people who watch YouTube, you see these edited versions of these projects. And the reality is that everyone always runs into problems and you like screw up and like, and people see these edited beautiful versions of, of YouTube maker things. And they don't think that they're in this, you know, like, well, I can never do that. I always screw up. I always fuck up the shit that I try to make. And so, <laughs> but we all do. So it's fun for us to like tell the listeners about how we all screw up. So that's why we like to have our guests do a, uh, do a disaster story. So what do you got for us? Well, I got two kind of completely unrelated things. All right, good. <laughs> so the first one is, um, so I'm mainly a knitter and fiber artist. That's kind of my maker trade, I guess you would say. Not Wearing trade, because I'm not sweaty. making money off of it, right. but you know, like my hobby, whatever. That's what you make, yeah. Yeah. And so I've been knitting a scarf for Dustin, um, I have some really nice yarn and it's kind of like this uh, modeled sort of black gray charcoal kind mm. of really, really nice yarn. It's a really beautiful color. It's like, it's, it's very, like crow uh, wing kind yeah. of like, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, really nice. But if anyone's familiar with knitting or crocheting or working with yarn, um, Knitting in black is a labor of love because you can't see your stitches. <laughs> uh, yeah, I about that. So, so yes, it's a it's a over six feet long labor of love. <laughs> and so when I, um, what do you mean by you can't see your stitches? So just because you can't see like the, it's harder to see the 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 so like you know you have different types of stitches, knits and purls and everything, and and like with the pattern that I was doing, it was like and this for every like seven stitches and then it's a purl stitch and then you know another seven and then so on mm -hmm. and so usually when I'm knitting something I'm partially following a pattern but most of the time if it's like a repetitive thing I'm, I'm reading the yarn mm -hmm. basically okay. so I'm looking at what I've done in previous rows to like know when to like make a change or do right. a different stitch 
And when you can't really see your stitches very well, when they're not very well defined because everything's just dark, or if you're like, don't, if you're not working somewhere with great lighting, then it's just a strain on the eyes and it can be frustrating because you're like, oh shoot, I thought that's where it was, but it's not it's somewhere right. else. Um, so anyway, uh, I've been working on this for a while, just kind of off and on because I always have a, a million as you know, I have project bags like Lots lying all over going on the, the house. Same time. Yeah. So because I get bored with one and then work on another, one's more convenient, <laughs> one's on a timeline, one's really fun, one's, you know, whatever. Yeah. So um, I've been working on it off and on for what, like... Uh, I think probably maybe like six, six months, months or, or so. Right, yeah. yeah. It was like you started it at the end of the winter. Yeah. So like, yeah, so you're like, oh, I'll have this done for you by For the next, next cold yeah, season, right. yeah. Um, and so I, it was probably about a, a week or two ago, I was sort of at the f- about five foot mark mm-hmm. or so on this scarf and, and we're aiming at about six feet. For, yeah. Like, kind of what, like, a lot of times it's, nice it's about the height of the wearer. If you right. want it to go like kind of wrap around your neck once and then have a nice amount hanging down in the front on either side. Right. And so, um, I, we have two dogs too. <laughs> I mean, you've probably seen them in the videos and stuff. Um, and so I very stupidly, uh, left my knitting on the couch when I went to the kitchen to, I don't know, do something. I forget. And I come back in to find the scarf and my ball of yarn, like just on the floor and the yarn tangled around everything and the dog just happily chewing on it and this was luna of course she's the one who gets into everything and so i looked at it and they it was still like all the stitches were still in the needle which was very good so i didn't have to like you know redo any of the stitches and everything and i thought that like we were all good except for it was completely covered in white fur from our white dog toby long white fur like just coating this black Great scarf yeah. oh so i knew i'd have to pick off all of this dog fur but then when i took a closer look at it the next day or two i saw that like towards the beginning of the scarf there were these two big snags like where a tooth or claw or whatever had caught on a stitch and pulled it tight like you know so it wasn't broken but it made this big long loop and then the whole row of stitches next on either side of it was pulled super tight so the only way to fix that is through very very tedious um basically feeding it back through um like so you have to like uh, it just it took forever so there's those two big snags and it took hours to get it back (laughs) back to how it was and then there was and then later on i found one little spot where they'd actually broken the yarn like chewed through it and so then i had to darn that spot so that you know oh my gosh (laughs) freaking dogs but anyway that's like that's so that's like using yarn back into yarn you're you're it's like patching so it's it's taking um matching yarn or sometimes not match sometimes you decorative darning with like you know contrast yarn or whatever right. but basically i was i followed the path of the stitches in that row right and with the yarn and then that just reinforced it so that gotcha. you know the broken yarn wouldn't unravel any further okay 
Right. But then I finished it Yay. last week <laughs> yeah. and presented it. And now we just got to wait for it to get cold enough. And for Dustin, who's right. very hot blooded, it's going to have to get very cold. It's going to be pretty cold out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Re- but real quick, my other disaster, um, totally unrelated, but one of my other hobbies, which I've kind of not done so much of recently, is gardening. <laughs> And so this year, this spring, we usually have a pretty big vegetable garden, but we just mm. didn't, I mean, I'm in grad school too, so it just, there's no time to yep. maintain the garden, weeding, all that kind of stuff. So like, okay, well, I want to have at least something in the garden. Right. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, what's, what's low maintenance? What's something that I can just kind of like let go and don't have to worry about the weeds swamping it and stuff? And I was like, let's try corn. We've always wanted to grow sweet corn. So... <laughs> Um, we cleared out, um, what was it like four beds oh, or so? We did, so we have eight garden beds that are three by did. eight. I think we did seven. No, no, no. We didn't <clears throat> clear out that many. Did we? I think we did every one except for just the one bed. Oh. I think. Okay. Because the one we already had, um, tomatoes, tomatoes and peppers. And, and, okay. Yeah, right. So anyway, so I, you know, got all the seed corn and we planted it and everything. And I was like doing pretty, because I wanted to make sure at least got a good start. So we were pretty good about clearing away the, the weeds and grass, like until it got established, but it was taking a really long time to sprout. We kind of had a, a weird weather spring, right. I guess. So it was kind of cold and, and yeah, yeah, we started kind of late as well. And so then, um, we noticed that some of them started sprouting and they're, the ones that were sprouting were doing pretty good. Um, but then, like, uh, what was it? Like, I would say 80% of them just didn't germinate. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, because we planted a ton. I mean, because it was two rows two in rows every in bed each and bed. probably, what, 30 pieces of corn or something per 30 row. 30 ears. Yeah, or, I mean, stalks, seeds, whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then we got, yeah. So, so yeah, so it was maybe like, I think it was like 11 actually grew. <laughs> yeah, right. It was pretty darn pathetic. <laughs> and so they, they grew and they were doing okay. Like they got to, you know, pretty decent height, not super robust, yeah. but you yeah, know, like they five feet. You yeah. Know, something like they that, were doing yeah. all right. And then, so I noticed the ears forming and the little silk tassel coming out the end yeah. and everything. And I was like, ooh, this is so exciting. They're still pretty <laughs> small, but I also, I didn't want to, since we planted so late in the season, I didn't want to let them go too, too late. Like when it started getting, um, you know, the weather Cooler. was, it was yeah, getting right. wrong for, for the corn. And so we're like, okay, well, let's just go ahead and pick them, even though they're still pretty small. And so we right because I think, like with corn, you kind of wait till the, the well, tassels. Wait, yeah, dry because out. what you're you're trying to do is you're trying to wait until the starches in the corn develop into sugar. Right. With sweet corn, um, so there's a certain kind of period of time. And I didn't research this very well. Right. I mean, if we do it again, I'll I'll do a little more research as far as like right. what supplements to use and the timing and all that kind of stuff. This was just sort of a it last was kind of like an minute experiment. Experiment. Yeah. yeah, yeah like, yeah. what do we do? What can we do for everything? Hey, well, we should let's try corn. Yeah. You why know, not? Like, cool. Like yeah. Because what do we have to usually lose? <laughs> you want like a a bunch of rows of corn because they help each other right. germinate. And if they had all like. germinated, then we would have had a bunch of anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> um. And so we got, you know, it got to the point where it was actually, you know, enough to harvest. They were probably, what, like maybe 
seven yeah, inch six, ears seven, yeah. or so. All right. And, you know, peeled back just a little bit of the husk and saw that, the, you know, the kernels were developed and stuff. And then, so we picked them all and mm-hmm. we peeled back the, <laughs> the husks to check them out. Oh my gosh. They were um, uh, really bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so only like on each ear, like only half of the kernels actually really even formed. Right. And the rest of it was just like the cob, like just showing through. And they're all deformed and they were like not in straight oh, lines. And, and they're like bug eaten. And right. like it was, it was really, really disappointing. <laughs> we're like, and then okay we're like okay well let's just cut it off the cob and like maybe use it for you know salsa or something like that but then like i tried some of it and it was so starchy like not sweet at all and i'm like fail just just (laughs) Just fail just complete fail (laughs) so yes i would say that was a pretty recent uh, disaster yeah (laughs) Yeah, that was a dagger. <laughs> yeah. Because you were even like, you tried like roasting it or mm-hmm. like, you know, to see if we could put it into some like salsa and you were like. Right. Because like when stuff. you roast something, lots of times it'll right. take something that's not very sweet and like really develop the sugars in right, it and yeah. bring out the sweet. Nope. No. No. It's... I know. And I was like, I was like, no, we can't just get rid of it. So we just tossed it into a baggie and threw it in the freezer. So it's still like, sitting in the freezer. <laughs> we'll like throw it away in like two years. Like, Maybe oh, if... mix it with the dog food or something. Yeah, there you go. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Treats. Have Corinne eat. She loves frozen corn. <laughs> it's all starchy. <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you for for sharing. Um, okay. So we are at the end. So let's uh, do some recommendations. Do you have a recommendation for the listeners? Sure. Um, right. I got two things again, but this will be quick. Cool. So um, I have an app recommendation for anyone who is into um, foraging or just exploring the natural world. Um, I naturalist is a wonderful app for um, identifying uh, plants and animals nice. um, and fungi and everything. So we, yeah. we like to do some, some foraging, especially for mushrooms and stuff. Um, and it's just really cool to have something right in your pocket. And it's, it's pretty darn accurate. It's sort of like a... How does it work? So it's kind of crowdsourced. So uh, um, there's a database, right, that it's drawing from. I think it does a lot of stuff from Wikipedia, actually. Um, But then it will compare your picture with other available examples, and it'll also look at what has been found in your area. So it has geolocation stuff, too. So you take a picture and then just put it in. Right, and it'll give you um, a a series of suggestions as to what it thinks it might be. And then, so it'll have a top suggestion that it thinks it's most likely to be that. And then there's some other ones that are kind of related or similar. Like if you didn't get the picture from perfect angle and maybe it's like, it looks like this, but you're like, Oh wait, I see Or in a different growth stage or something like that. Because sometimes when you get stuff when it's really young, it looks a lot more different than when it's more developed. Right. Um, So, yeah, so it's it's really wonderful because you also it's like a community based thing too, where um, you have other people who um, will verify your identification. Oh, nice. So um, they'll 
you know, you'll have other people who are like, either, yep, I think you got it. Like, that seems like a right ID. Or they'll suggest something else that mm. they think it's more likely to be That's as cool. well. And then, um, and there's like research grade kind of listings too, where right. if you have really clear pictures of like underside and side angle and different angles and like close up and everything, then, you know, that will be like a, a, the type that other things will be compared to. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. cool. Yeah, that's that reminds me of when we took the mushroom foraging class and our teacher, Sam, was like, she said, you know, you want, it's like the rule of three. So when you're identifying a mushroom, you want to use three levels of reference, one being yourself. So you look at it, you think, okay, I think that's what this is. Two being a book. And you say, okay, the book says that looks about right. So, okay, now I'm verifying with the book and myself. And three being a a person, a friend, someone else who you trust. Maybe a professional. Right, exactly. (laughs) So, like, if if you think it's something, a book kind of verifies it and someone else says they think it's two, then you're, like, pretty solid with those three to then assume that it is what you think it is. Right. And so just, like, a deadly lookalike, you still might want to have some extra caution. Right, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, that's something that the book and your friend would tell you. Like, it also looks like this thing, so make sure these aspects are right. And so that's kind of, right. that reminds me of with iNaturalist, where you have that, like, it, you're referencing against, and balances yeah, and stuff, against yeah. the giant database, but it's also people who can who can verify it. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, and the other recommendation is um, a podcast called, uh, it's, it's a popular one, probably a lot of you have heard of it. It's called Stuff You Should Know. Nice. And uh, it's to the hosts are Chuck and Josh, and um, they, they, I mean, it's really, it's literally about everything. You're right. So it's, it's all the stuff you should know. And yeah, and I think it's like pretty much every other day they've got a new episode coming out. Um, and it ranges like everything from like events in history to individual people to like, uh, like scientific stuff to inventions to natural phenomena like like everything that you could possibly think so you never it's like never get bored right and also like it's not about just one subject yeah right and it's also not like a uh like a continuous type of podcast too where you feel like if you miss Mm -hmm. an episode then you've like oh, well, now I got to catch up. And right, like, it's, yeah. you can just pop in anywhere. You could go through their back catalog as just like 10 years or something yeah. and find they've probably, if there's something that you want to know about, they've probably we done about an yeah. episode <laughs> about it. So <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they're, and they've got a pretty funny um, relationship too. Nice. With, so it's, I, I enjoy listening to them. Right on. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's one of the things that, the podcasts I'm drawn to are where you have a, a an, like a interesting dynamic between the hosts, you know? So it's like, Oh, that's good. You know, you can, you get this fun back and forth and that's what makes it fun to listen to. Cause that's like what you want when you're talking with a group of friends is that dynamic that people like enjoy each other and it's fun and it's like witty and then, you know, give each other shit and like <laughs> crack silly jokes or say something fun and like work off each other. Well, so. But then, like us, like also, like as generalists who have a broad range of interests yeah, and right. jack of all trades kind of stuff, it, you know, it's kind of fun also having a podcast that sort of touches on everything. Right, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, I didn't know I was interested in like how the military trained dolphins, but now listening to this podcast, <laughs> I want to find out more about it. Right, you know, yeah. like it just whatever. Yeah. It's you know. like a, like a one stop shop. 
because yeah. <laughs> I like I want to I want to like I'll listen to knife talk when I want to hear about knife stuff or I'll listen to you know like the um, on the wind when I want to listen to like a sailing podcast you know it's like the, my different interests is like make making things you know or go that way or like making it when you know it's like those three guys Bob and Dave and Jimmy all like make all sorts of different stuff. So that's similar thing where they're always talking about different projects and they're doing, but it's still just like within the making, the realm, umbrella so. of making. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. Cool. All right. Uh, so my recommendation this week is, um, if, uh, you guys don't know, which I'm sure you already do, but, uh, vintage Axe works, Roy Scott, who we've actually had on the podcast, uh, in the past, um, he will be at maker camp again this year. And he just recently posted a picture of, uh, Osage on his bench. So he's doing something with Osage. He doesn't have any, like nothing yet exactly what's happening with it, but you know, he's an ax guy, so I'm sure he's making a handle out of it. But, uh, but yeah, so he's got, um, some like an interesting thing coming along and he's making something cool to bring to, uh, bring to maker camp. But he did, uh, talk about um just the like how he's struggling with osage and like how annoying it is which is funny because i absolutely love working with osage but it definitely has its um it has its quirks so <laughs> like he's uh, he's having a good time with it but uh check him out on instagram vintage axe works roy scott um and also i just was listening to his podcast with uh with chris cash from mount phillip metalworks um, called the Axe and Iron Podcast, and he told a hilarious story about uh, his worst exp- experience camping ever. And uh, so go check that out as well. So check out Roy and Chris on Axe and Iron Podcast, and then you can check out uh, and follow along with what Roy's doing with Osage. So if you like information about the bows on and Osage, you can see what he's doing with uh, something uh, along with axes. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an axe handle, I'm assuming. But he's got two pieces, so... He likes to do laminate stuff, so maybe he's going to do something with, you know, epoxy or some other type of wood in the middle. And being being someone who's made an axe handle out of Osage and how beautiful it is, I'm excited to see where it goes. So we'll see. All right. Um, Nicole, where can people find your work if they want to see things you do? Uh, well, I very, very occasionally post stuff on Instagram, right. uh, littlemagpie83. Okay. Um, and that's, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. That's it. Gotcha. That's perfect. <laughs> or I guess I'm on, uh, I, I have Ravelry is the um, website for, uh, f- you know, knitters and crocheters. And so I have an account there and like, you know, I post all my projects in that, but you have to like create an account and stuff. And, right. And then, you know, find me there. But yeah. <laughs> Ravelry is crazy though. Like that's super cool. Cause it's, you like, it's it's a database. It's like a app database. Well, yeah. So it's where you know you can so people can pattern makers can right. upload patterns and and you can um, as knitters or crocheters you can buy them and but right. then it's also like your own personal kind of organizational yeah. tool as right. well because all your patterns are stored in your library right there in the website and then you can like 
all your yarn stash you can have yeah, when, right there too. You buy and it's new all, yarn, you always put then, it into Ravelry. And then, so yeah, and then you can have all these different filters of how you can search things too, so you can get right. like super specific right. um, for like what the, you this want. This type of and yarn everything. and this color, right? This way weight, this amount of yardage, yeah. like this type of item of clothing. If it's for adult, baby, men, women, what, what? Right. Like it, there's just a million ways to search it, and like thousands and thousands and thousands of patterns there. So yeah. it's a uh, Definitely, if you're into fiber arts, it's a very easy to get lost, <laughs> or in a good way, like right. happily lost in, in so Ravelry. Like, <laughs> if if people wanted to see some of the stuff you've done, then they can find that on Ravelry. Yeah, still. Um, I think my profile name is still Little Magpie eighty three. Okay, is that underscore? Is well. it just eighty three? No, I think it's okay. just eighty three. Is underscore on Instagram? So no, I don't think it is. Uh, maybe not. Uh. We'll find out in just a second. But yeah, so check out uh, Nicole on Instagram if you want to see some of the stuff. A lot of, obviously, like, you know, as a mom. No underscore. A, okay. That's that's funny. Like a mom and a, a dog mom and a knitter and a, yeah, a wife of a... Yeah, it's like family a, stuff, dog stuff, yeah. and then occasional, like, you know, either knitting or food or yeah, whatever. Right, exactly. like, food pigs, hand pigs. Nature stuff. pigs, yeah. I don't know. It's just whatever I find interesting. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's more just like documenting cool stuff in life. But, you know, that's what we all do. And and that's that's why I actually like Instagram because it is a little bit more just like a look into our life. Like I post pictures of Corinne and what we're doing. And, you know, I don't separate that out from a different thing. If it's like if I'm doing something um, – anything the only thing that i separate out into a different account is like my school stuff and so i have like an account specifically for the like teaching stuff and i do that but even then i still post things to the art of craftsmanship um you know instagram so which is where you can find me if you want you can go over and find me on instagram at the art of craftsmanship and you can find Devin at the art of camera guy um, he does a fun job of posting great pictures of me working and him sitting around doing nothing and uh, <laughs> a lot of fun behind, behind the, the scenes, scenes stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, remember, check us out. I'm going to be doing the virtual craft festival on Saturday, which is tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Friday, on Friday, uh, the Saturday the 24th at 12 p.m. So 12 noon. I'll be on live for an hour making something. I still don't know what I'm going to make or if I'm just going to – I think I'm going to be talking about bow making because I'm still like trying to pump up and prep the uh, 100th video coming out on Sunday at 6 p.m. I'll be doing a premiere. Eastern Standard Time. Yes, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So on the East Coast, 6 p.m. Um, I'll be doing a premiere, which, again, that is basically while the video is playing, we'll be doing a live chat along with the video. So you can go directly into YouTube. You can open up the video and then open up the chat feature where you would comment, and it'll be a live commenting. So um, we'll be able to chat there, and uh, Devin and I will both be there chatting with people and, you know, and uh, having a good time checking out the uh, 100th video. Uh, and lastly, you know, you can always, the most important thing is head over to YouTube and f- and find us there and subscribe and watch the videos and let us know what you think, comment, and, you know, just be part of this community because that's what we really enjoy about the Art of Craftsmanship is all the people that it has affected and all the people that have affected us over the years, um, which really makes this all worth it. So go check us out there on YouTube. And then if you want to support us further, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash the art of craftsmanship and you can support us there financially, which is awesome. All that money that's ever come in through Patreon has gone directly back into the channel. Literally hundred percent of it has gone back into buying things for the channel, camera gear, um, tools, 
sound gear. It's all, we pull it out when we need like new, new gear and stuff for the channel. So for those of you who have supported us over the years, we really, really appreciate it. And if you want to support us that way, you can go over and find us there. All right, everybody. That's about all we have today. Nicole, thanks so much for hanging out with me and talking about bow stuff and leather work and all the stuff we've been doing, like spending ridiculous amount of time together over the last like two weeks it's even though nice. we're married and and uh you know live in the same house no but we're always <laughs> so busy with our own things that sometimes yeah. it feels like you know ships passing in the night like right. I, you know i i see you and then it's like okay good night right <laughs> and obviously i couldn't be any happier with you like wanting to come down and hang out in the shop with me so i'm like yeah let's go let's what are we gonna do what do we want to make like whatever you want to make let's hang out in the shop so it's been fun all right everybody thank you all so much for listening to episode 101 and we will talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.